From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. And a very warm welcome aboard the pirate ship at the Reeve Gauche and to the Captain's Table podcast, brought to you by Are You Not Entertained and our great friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies. I'm Giles Morgan. I'm not actually a captain, or indeed a pirate, but a vague ancestor of my family, Captain Henry Morgan, actually was one, and his family all came from Wales as well. For 30 years, I have been lucky enough to travel all over the world as a boring old marketing suit in the sports industry, which included having arguably the best job in the world as head of sponsorship at HSBC. Along that journey, I got to rub shoulders with the good, the bad, and the ugly from the world of sport. And having ditched the pinstripe suit for breeches and the red waistcoat and cutlass that befits a pirate captain, I set out to create this podcast where every fortnight I simply ask my special guests from the world of sport to share their own personal memories of being a sports fan and how that passion has affected and shaped their lives. And ahoy there, my hearties, and welcome back aboard my pirate ship, the Reeve Gauche, and for another episode of The Captain's Table. I'm the captain. This month, we're joined by one of those blokes who I think bring colour, humour, and the entertainment into the sports that we watch on TV. Mark Durden-Smith has been one of those faces of rugby in particular for over 25 years. He's been the anchor man for Sky Sports and now Channel 5 in the UK. His sort of old pretty face has graced the screens on a variety of sports and entertainment shows, including I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Hell's Kitchen, and This Morning. Bubblegum telly, in other words. And unlike most of my guests I've had on the show, from Rory McElroy, Lord Sebastian Coe, Sir Chris Hoy, Brian O'Driscoll, Michael Vaughan, to name but a few, his sporting prowess is well, well, limited. He opens the bowling with me uh, occasionally at our cricket club when injuries dictate no one else is available from either end. He used to be a moderately useful rugby player back in the last century, but other than that, not. But as a person you would want on your pirate ship entertaining the crew, I don't think he has any equal. I can hear his loquacious an endless voice booming around the gangplank right now. So let's welcome him to the captain's table. Mark Durden-Smith, welcome on board the Reeve Gauche and to the captain's table podcast. Pull up a chair and make yourself at home. Ridiculous name for a boat. I mean, uh, you, you could have come up with something better. And, I, and I, I'm delighted. Thank you for having me on your Reeve Gauche boaty thing. I, I assume it's made of plastic. It's very plastic. And I just be be careful of the pets and the dogs and parrots that are everywhere. They might trip you up. And before we get on with this lunacy, I have to get you a drink. And um, as you know, pirates like me normally drink rum, but um Or oh, Marty. 
Arr, but this is a classy ship. And 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 so the, the usual tipple um, would be uh, a Loch Lomond uh, Scotch single malt um, type of drink. How do you take yours? How do you, sir? Do you take it with ice water, ginger ale, Coke, straight up? How do you want it? Uh, I, I think I'm going to really upset proper whiskey drinkers here because I love nothing more than a whiskey mac, which means I add Stone's ginger wine to my whiskey. So if you don't mind with my Loch Lomond uh, whiskey, I'm going to have a little half of whiskey, half of uh, Stone's ginger wine and a couple of ice cubes. And then I'll be giggling till dawn. Well, that, well, if Dawn's on the boat, she'll be giggling with you. So that's oh. good. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Now, Dirt, everybody who listens and or watches rugby, particularly in the United Kingdom, will have seen your quaffered hair for, for God, quarter of a century. You did it Sky, you're doing it Channel 5 now. I've known you for, for longer than that, even. And you're quite a sporty fellow. And I've watched you play sports in, at various sorts of levels. But I've never really asked you this question, but what was your earliest sporting memory when you were a, a, a wee man growing up? What, what is Let, your sporting passion? Let's let's establish um, one thing from the outset here. You, you are scraping the barrel. This captain's table has never sunk so low. So tight. this is like the equivalent of an austerity measure. No, no, uh, on, the, to, on the Plimsoll line, it's fair that the, the level is quite high. But no, I wanted <laughs> you here. And so don't put yourself down. Others will do that for you. Thank you very much indeed for that. I have noticed that most of the people you've had around the captain's table have got a title. There's a sir, there's a lord here, there and everywhere. I'm going to give myself the right honourable Durds <laughs> title for the, the purposes of this conversation. But, uh, you know, I am a proper obsessive. As a child, bearing in mind, we go, we're roughly the uh, same age. So for those not in the know, he's a rather decrepit, just post-50 man uh, who is the captain of the ship. And we didn't have the endless sports fodder you can see on e endless platforms at the moment. So we we lived for, I, I think I heard Matty Pinson saying the whole thing, you know, Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks on a Saturday afternoon. Absolutely loved anything that was remotely considered sport. And I'm not entirely sure that would be considered sport in most people's minds. But um, I love those two. Uh, I mean, I was obsessed about rugby from a very early age. Didn't quite know why that got under my skin because, you know, I, my best mate was Hugh Thomas, who was a Welshman. Hugh. Uh, and we know we like Welshmen. We're very fond of Welshmen. I married a Welsh woman. So, you know, I'm all about the Welsh. Uh, so I loved, I mean, I was a proper sports obsessive. So, um, did you get taken to sport as a kid? I mean, did you go to a lot of events and stuff? Well, Neil the Deal, my father, Neil Durden-Smith, was in various different games. He's not a shady character. That's he was, although he did know he did know the craze, apparently. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's shady. No, that's not shady at all. He was he was he did all he was sport through and through as well. He was a BBC sports producer. He he did the Navy for eleven years. So, um, but then he went into sport, basically sports broadcaster, a bit of. TMS, um, a bit of sports uh, promoting. So basically, he, he conjured up sporting events out of thin air and tried to get them off the ground, including actually a failed attempt to get the first ever Rugby World Cup, I think, in 1985. So, I, yeah, sport was very much a part of my childhood. And actually, I think the first proper and most vivid memory I have, and this is a toss-up, is going to the 1978 FA Cup final between Arsenal and Ipswich, which Ipswich won 1-0. And I was obsessed by uh, Mick Mills, for those of a certain generation remember who he was. I, and in the football scenario, I also love this, does nothing to do with the FA Cup final, but Joe Jordan was a, was, was a hero of mine because he had a massive gap between his teeth. And, you know, I like the quirky ones, I think. Alan Sunderland, big hair, 
So I, I saw a lot of sport, but again, a yearly memory was going to Welford Road. Uh, I think it was the day after Boxing Day, if not Boxing Day, to see Leicester take the, the, the Barbarians. Uh, and my hero in that in those days was Dusty Hare, who has a similar, actually, look to you these days. <laughs> but he had it back when he was in his prime in his 20s. And, and a more educated boot, I suspect, than, than I am. Slightly, had. slightly. No offence, Captain. None, none taken. But interesting. So football and rugby, and I, I know cricket. You're a fine bowler, or, or you were. Which, How dare which, you? At, which, when you were little, do you remember? Were you more football, more rugby, more cricket? Was there was there one that had sort of preeminence in your in your bandwidth? Do you think it, it's so difficult because I mean we couldn't have been a more sporty household. My parents were with the Laws Taverners, which was a cricket charity. My father. Uh, as I said, was a sort of sports producer in, in his sort of 30s and 40s. Um, so, I, but for me personally, I would say rugby's always been my true passion. I grew up wanting to be Jean-Pierre Reeve had I been born French, which unfortunately didn't happen for me. Although I do have French ancestry. So Dude, had I been... Had I, on, what, what? on what side of the family? Well, it should be very obvious to anybody who's educated that I am... Uh, Durdon is hard tooth. In French, so I've got a funny feeling. <laughs> it's true, this by the way. I'm not making this up. I think we might have been elite dentists back in, uh, you know, Louis the Fourteenth's reign or something along those lines. So there is a bit of French in in, in me, as it were. But um, I, <laughs> we must, this is a family show, and um, I I would have loved to have been him, Peter Winterbottom. I mean, all those England uh, players of that generation, and actually Ollie Campbell that not many people were obsessed by an Irish fly half, but I was obsessed by him because he had this weird superstition where he'd run onto the pitch, but not ever put his foot on a white line on a rugby pitch. So, you know, I was, I was so obsessed by, by rugby that I, you know, five, four 45 Sunday afternoon, rugby special, probably my favorite uh, your viewing experience. And I loved the $6 million man. And I, and I, and I loved all of that kind of stuff. I actually quite like Bagpuss, if we're being really honest, but rugby special always had it as my number one view of go the week. To, go back to Ollie Campbell. Did he not tread on the, the white lines because he was worried the bears would catch him? I mean, what was the, the superstition behind that? Have you ever got the, to the bottom of that? You don't need to get to the bottom of superstitions. They're just the way they are. You know, I, I salute magpies. If there's only one of them, I, my mother salutes magpies turns around a circle and spits. So, I mean, if you ever see Jude the Chalmers, the travel icon from the 1970s, <laughs> doing, doing cartwheels and spitting all over the place, you'll know it's just merely superstition and nothing more sinister. <laughs> and tell me, what was your first, I mean, football club supporting? Was it Ipswich because you saw them win an FA Cup? Or was there, did you have a club and did your allegiance uh, change? Yeah, I'm afraid I fall into, and I don't, I don't like admitting this, but I fall into the very fickle football supporters, you know, fan club. So I was... Nottingham Forest won the the uh, European Cup. I love Nottingham Forest. Love Brian Clough. I love who was that fat guy who used to? Oh, that's I know. They're probably listening. No, there was a no, no, not fat, a slightly more rotund pro athlete playing for Nottingham Forest. I can't remember his name anyway. He was great. I loved him, um, and I love Nottingham Forest. But then I did then go to an FA Cup final with my father when Manchester United were playing. I think it was the Liverpool one actually, an amazing FA Cup final to be at. So I then transferred my allegiance to Man United. My best mate, Ali Midgen, or one of my best mates at prep school, uh, was a big um, a QPR supporter. So I went through a QPR phase as well. So my only true, genuine sporting passion has been, always been, for English rugby. So football aside, it was, uh, that, they, they, that takes second fiddle, plays second fiddle very much to my rugby love. 
Um, but Man United loosely. And, and tell me, you, you mentioned that your dear missus, who is Welsh and who I know, you arrived, I remember, in South Wales and, and there the wedding happened and they had to put up with a, a, a hyphened, very much England rugby support and bring them into the Morse family. I, I wonder how you went down as a... <laughs> as a... <laughs> whoops. <laughs> with the Little Welsh bit, community I, in Swansea. I, <laughs> I mean, I hope you've got a good editor here, but <laughs> I would, I'll, I'll, I'll choose to answer your question in the responsible and mature manner, I'm sure, in which it was asked. And I've actually just, I've lowered my seat. So you might have just seen me drop down, funny enough, <laughs> to the lower level here at this desk. Um, I think I'm dropping it down the level, I'm afraid. Yeah. Anyway, the, the fact is, I think that they, I do, the, the honest answer is, I have been welcomed into the most lovely of Welsh families. They couldn't be warmer. They couldn't be actually more, you know, forgiving of my English roots. Um, but having said that, uh, there is a the cult of Welsh rugby is, as you know, a very, very powerful and potent thing. So the boys, Archie and Fred, have got twin sons. They're now fifteen, but they were born in uh, two thousand and five, and I think they hadn't even taken their first breath when the the Welsh the Welsh turned up at the hospital with Welsh baby grows. And I was saying, <laughs> no, you will not be, be, be indoctrinating my children uh, into the cult of Welsh rugby. And I have to tell you that that is something I have failed at miserably by both my sons, bearing in mind how passionate I am about English rugby, are Welsh rugby supporters. How did that happen? Well, you know I'm delighted to know that. And it sounds like Neil and Jude spoilt you rotten as a kid. You went to probably more sporting events than most of your of your age, sort of by dint of what they did for a living. So you've obviously been lucky enough to to work in, in the world of sport for a long time. But just as a fan, just as a, a, as a punter, what's your favourite sporting stadium that you've ever been to or love going back to, just purely as a fan, not going into the TV gantry or anything like that? Where do you love going? Well, I mean, been once, that lovely stadium in Sydney in 2003, on November the 22nd, very fond memories of that one, particularly as a fan with a friend, you know, I had a white hair with a red streak down it. I had face paint. I did the full Monty. I love that stadium for some reason. It has you know, good vibes. Uh, so that was, I'm very fond of that particular stadium. And also actually uh, in um, Brisbane, the first test, of the Lions series in 2001, probably sponsored by HSBC and your former guys as the, in that role. Uh, and But that was a working one, not as a fan. But I just remember the buzz from seeing all those Lions shirts. In the other side of the world was incredible. But I would, I mean, Twickenham, I'm very lucky. I am really lucky. My father had to bench the Twickenham. So growing up, from about the age of 10, I was pretty much at every single England rugby international. So that has a big place in my heart. But I, I, the most fun I've had in any stadium recently is going to Dublin and going to Aviva because I'd never been before. It's extraordinary. All the years I've worked in rugby, I'd never been for a proper you know, Dublin weekend on a Six Nations game. And I was just going as a fan and just had a magical night when we sort of went off to this club after the game and some Jimmy Nesbitt rolls out of this nightclub. You think, is this, does this happen every time you go to Dublin? Um, so I have a very, that, I thought that was genuinely a magical city, a magical stadium and a magical weekend. And if, I, if you and I were going to go to the Aviva and at half time, you know, I go and get the pints in because I'm... I try, I, that at that point, I'd try and lose you. At that point, I'd try and lose you. <laughs> well, I wouldn't blame you, but I'd try to send you off to the burger vans or the food vans. What oh, would yeah. your half time snack be? 
Uh, do you know what? I, if I had my dream, I wouldn't be. I mean, I, well, I've been through phases on this. I think I was a, definitely a whole roast man, but only if they had crackling. Mm-hmm. Um, I would. I would always look now for for chicken. I'm now chicken obsessive. The burgers wouldn't do a burger. Um, I, if in, in a dream world, someone like Leon would open a concession at rugby grounds so I could have their, their uh, areoli. No, that's areoli? No, that's a different thing. That's part of the nipple, isn't it? They're, I'm sorry. Areoli. Yeah. Areoli. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's garlic. It's garlic. Garlic, you want? Areoli. Let's just try and be. <laughs> that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. A Caesar's chicken salad. Uh, I would probably order that, but no, I'm I'm a, I'm a hog roast man, pretty much. If they can guarantee cracking with it. And do you like? I mean, you you you, you talk on sport on the television all the time. You love this the, the live event, but do you like watching sport at home? Genuinely, I mean, in terms of an obsessive, do you like to watch? sport kind of from your own telly and really get into it or you prefer being in the pub or do you just like being with mates in the stadium or, or does it sort of depend on the situation um de- very much depends on the situation but because i watch so much live sport i suppose i i don't watch as much sport as you might think i would do as a as a person who absolutely loves all forms of sport so i do um i love a solitary view for instance of i'm really happy to sit and watch the Ryder cup either with people or on my own i mean i'm gripped by that every time it comes around one of my favorite sporting views but i mean emma radicanu uh, this weekend we we were very excited as the rest of the nation was about watching emma radicanu and i was in wales your heartland on a, on a golf weekend with some friends of mine from university and beyond and at quarter to nine um the welsh electricity and utility section packed up <laughs> and so we were just going to sit down and watch this amazing historical moment with Emma Raducanu winning that US Open final and we had no electricity so we then watched it on channel four plus one finished at about two in the morning or something ridiculous but it was I mean I, I I love watching with friends as well as long as there's not, there aren't too many interruptions that's the thing isn't it you've got to have people who can't distract you if you're in a moment watching a game of anything and you've got too many distractions it sullies the experience well and talking of moments are you emotional about sport i mean could you could have you cried if you say when england won the, the world cup in 2003 or whatever it was are you emotional do you does it um, bring tears ever has it well Giles, you know pound for pound i'm the hardest man in british broadcasting uh, but that doesn't mean that I can't, you know, shed an odd tear. I, I tell you what, I don't think I, I think not sure you'd see water pouring out of my eyeballs. But I, I would. I'm a goose bumper at extreme. So I always think, you know, the miracle of Medina. Um, and I did. I use that as an example, or actually a couple of the Premiership final, for instance, uh, this last year when Har- Harlequins beat um, uh, Exeter. Yeah, yeah. I, I, those two occasions, for instance, oh, there are more than that. But I defy anybody who says, "Oh, I don't really like sport. I don't. It's not my thing." I defy anybody not to be converted to sport who watches those occasions that has a backstory. Like Sevi sadly died, but the miracle. He's you know he somehow he seems to be influencing the European Ryder Cup team, or or the the illogical way that Harlequins went about winning the Premiership crown last season. Those things are are drama of the highest level. I don't think any Hollywood scriptwriter or any someone writing, you know, um, line of duty, I don't think they could better that for because you've got you've got real human emotions playing out right in front of your very eyes with an unexpected 
to a turn of events. I think that sort of stuff. Do you think that's why sport is what it is to you? Is it ultimately that kind of binary, but you never quite know what's going to happen? Is that it's the short story that always gives? Is that what it is? At its very best. And, and there are, I mean, you could probably name 10 sporting occasions that were up there as the best view of anything you've ever seen, I think. And I don't think you have to be a sports fan to come to that conclusion. So yes, is the answer to your, you know, waffly inane question. <laughs> well, there's more to come. <laughs> um, tell me, Loch Lomond um, whiskies are the spirit of the Open Golf Championship. Lucky them, lucky us, because they will get bottles of whiskey for, for you as well, if we ask nicely. And I know, not- you, play, you, I know you play golf <clears throat> badly, but probably yes. better than me. Um, how yes. good are you these days? Um, well, actually, do you know what? Um, I, we only play this one golf weekend. So I am, I played quite a lot during lockdown. I'm certainly a more consistent golfer than I used to be, but still highly erratic. But I did summon some, some the spirit of Radicanu at the weekend to win our Rolls of Monmouth a Big Pit Trophy because I was having a shocker in my singles. Uh, didn't finish the first two holes. And I remember Radicanu said, you know, I, I had problems. I fixed them. I'm a, you have to be as a sports person a problem solver and so I realised that I needed to not hit the ball into the bushes or over the road <laughs> if I kept on the course that would solve my problem so I then kept on the course and was victorious in the end so now I'm a pretty rubbish at everything Gilo as you know but I'm a, I'm a proper enthusiast and trier well you're certainly trying um, now tell me <laughs> with, with all the sporty world that you, you, you've, you've lived in have you played golf with um anyone sort of super famous a sporting hero have you ever been really nervous about mucking up because you're teeing off with someone a little bit special that is a question i can't think that i've ever played golf well i played golf with with or on the same course as gary lineker but i can't remember being actually playing with him i i'm struggling to find i i'm not i'm not a person who hangs out with lots of celebrity mates sadly so i'm you know bearing in mind i have a profile of of a, a sort of lost and I would uh, say that. I, I, well, you say that. I think 150 Instagram followers is good. But that's that's just me. I mean, is it is it 150 now? Well, I tell you what, we're <laughs> going up in the world. <laughs> so let me ask you this: you love, I do, you do love your social golf. If I could give you your dream golf team, who yes. would you love to play golf with, live or dead? Just you can have three people. Okay, I, I'm, I'm Jennifer Aniston's going to tee off first. Um, I think she must, and this is not you know in any way pervy at all. I'm just thinking. I'm sure she's yeah. a very good golfer. I'd like to. You know, you see, her short game apparently is phenomenal. So I think I'm particularly obsessed because we're watching Friends yet again with my daughter. So I think Jennifer seems to be uppermost in my mind. I would probably have to throw in um, Catelyn Moran might be in my side. You know, I think she's just, a, she. I think she loathed me from head to toe and wanted to punch my face in. But what a brain on, on that woman. I'd love yeah. to have her my my team. And I would just throw in a bit of Gaelic there. I would have Jean-Pierre Reeves. I mean, he was my ultimate hero the french number seven do you know who i'm talking about don't you the I guy do. who what always had you, blood, blood right, in his i was going to say so was it that was it because he played the kind of warrior the, the french warrior prince that's kind of what you what was it about his game that's exactly it i mean a man who would prepare to bleed every single game for his country with long flowing blonde locks never left the field of play without you know pints of blood pouring out of all sorts of cuts and bruises so i just i just like to know what makes him tick? I guess we'd have a, a gouloir at the 19th hole. Um, well, and, and I think you'd compare hair stories because you're both men who clearly use the hair as part of your brand, and I think that's good. I mean, a hair. The, my hair is, is um, brought from Russia, actually. I found out, funny enough, and this is not a secret, <laughs> I'm very surprised about how many people in modern sport 
don't have their own hair. I mean, I literally I found out that Graham Gooch's did come from Russia 36 years ago, and it's still very quality, good quality hair, obviously. And who, and who else? Come on, this is crazy. Uh, well, well they're, they're, they're all out there. Da- Darren Goss came from the back of his neck. Uh, Michael Vaughan, I think, came from his buttocks. I'm not entirely sure. Um, uh, uh, actually, I can't, some I can't is this say. The follic- these are the follicles that have been it reintroduced onto the top of the head from other parts of the body or Russia. It's is something you might want. Is that how it's it works? Because I'm thinking about this, obviously. Well, I would go to see something you might want to consider, Captain Morgan. Um, no, I, it, I, I just know, I just seem somebody's got particularly obsessed about it. So Darren Goff is the back of his next plugs. Uh, 2063, precisely, I think it was. Uh, but they but they promote these brands, don't they, these guys? So, you know, I like... I like oh, on the Telegraph, that. that's right. They sit on the little quarter page. Yes, there, yes. So there's not a secret anymore. It used to be in the old days. In Graham Goose, Sonny Miraculous, having full ever hair was you know, was a secret in the old days, but he's now, he's fessed up. It's from he's Russia. Out, he's outed his hair. That's good. He's outed his hair. And, and tell me, Des, as we've ascertained, you've been, you, you've travelled the world, you've been to a few sporting events. What event, if I could uh, wave my magic wand, that you could go to that is on your bucket list that you would love to to, to go to as a, as a fan? Uh, I've heard you ask this question on previous Captain's Table, and I have given this some thought. And I suppose... I'd love to go to a, a, an India-Pakistan test match um, uh, venue. I don't, I don't think it matter really. I, I, I don't know where, by which one is the most, you know, well attended. The Ryder Cup is definitely something I'd love to go to. I've been in a in hotel. America but, or Europe? Europe or I Europe. think I'd Do like Europe. I'd, I'd like I'd like a European venue. Uh, but I'm sure lots of people say the same thing. I've never been to Augusta. I've actually never been as a fan to a golf tournament. So I presented European Tour Golf for three months and sat in a sort of tent in the field when it's a slightly low level on Sky Sports, I should say. But I would, I think I'd love to go to Augusta and just, you know, as a member. I'd like to be inducted as a member as I got there so I could live the full experience. And then I'd do something inappropriate and be blackballed and then be jettisoned from the club for life. But I'd love to have that weekend. Well, as you know, the reach and influence of this show could could produce that. So we'll 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 get onto. That. I'll get my team of mice onto that. Certainly. <laughs> and also, you've you've. I mean, you're 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 certainly someone. When you interview people within certainly rugby, I mean, you're a confident person. You certainly don't back down um, from people. Have you ever been in an interview where you've either been intimidated or someone has just? You've either been slightly overawed by the occasion in terms of I can't believe I'm speaking to them or the way they were acting made it hard have you ever had some shockers uh i mean obviously i mean probably about countless of them but i i, I have i mean steve diamond the sales sharks coach i sort of inadvertently and i have fessed up to him as well got him banned for i think from the touchline for eight weeks <laughs> and a fine and ironically part of his punishment was to do some uh, media training because um he i saw him off camera push one of the northampton saints you know, um, coaching staff said to the crew, have you, have you found some footage of this? They found some footage. It was shown. I had to interview in post-match in our studios, ESPN in those days. And uh, I asked, I think, what were the right questions? Some of them quite challenging. I think he really wanted to punch me in the face. He luckily didn't do that as well because it might have been a slightly even longer ban. Um, but I, I wasn't in- intimidated, but I knew that I was really riling someone who, who who also doesn't back down from a confrontation. So the result was an eight-week ban for him. And, and uh, well, I, I just went home with some Krispy Kremes, actually, as it turns out. But it was fine. <laughs> That's well, usually my would, thing on live game. You were, you were definitely up on the up, up on the deal. Now, But never never been yeah. intimidated. Although when I was at the, um, just to follow up on that, when I was, I went to um, 
was lucky enough to present the South Africa Japan World Cup big shock of the century type thing in 2015. And I remember post match standing pitch side with Francois Pinard, George Green, and my pundits. And um, uh, the, the, the final whistle went. What an incredible moment that was. Japan had just beaten the Springboks, and we're all just reacting it. We sort of count down, off there, off we go. And Kobus Visagi, who is this enormous South African prop, comes up and he just he just goes, looks at the three of us, and goes, I, I just want to effing hit someone. I'm thinking, just not me. <laughs> just please not me. <laughs> I'm sure Francois can take it. Maybe George as well, but just and I'm thinking, you're the only, I'm the only one he's gonna hit, isn't it? <laughs> so he doesn't know anyone else. He doesn't know. So, exactly. yeah. so that was oh. that was my most intimidating moment. I thought I was gonna get, you know, thumped by Kobus Visagi, the mountainous South African prop, but luckily he mm. moved on. Well, luckily, and Henny presumably calmed down, so that's good. Now, Dirds, we come to the part of the show which I call the captain's broadside, and oh, yes. I sort of ask you a series of, sort of quickish, boring, weird questions, but they just kind of entertain me. You've come on my ship, the, the Reeve Goshen, and we're free to sail anywhere your heart desires. Anywhere in the world, I mean, probably, yeah, it's obviously on a boat, so probably by water. Where, where can we take you? Anywhere. I know exactly. And exactly where you can take me. It, sure. it may be tricky. It may be tricky because it is an estuary, so we'll have to time the tides right. So we wouldn't, want to, we wouldn't want to run aground. Um, although we would actually, I wouldn't mind if we ran aground at low tide in the the Bantham estuary in Devon. So you've got Thurls, Sorkham, Thurls, and Bantham, and I would love to be marooned there if I could bring my family with me. That'd be great. It would be so just before low tide. The water is sort of waist high when I jump off the captain's ship, um, the Reeve Gauche, and I would take a little rugby pool and play sort of estuary rugby with my three children, with Rachel on deck, you know, taking you know video shots of this amazing scene, with the sun probably at about five o'clock in the evening. Can you can you sort that out? That is so straightforward. We'll we, we'll get we'll get the ship prepared now. Um, uh, as, as guests on this beautiful, beautiful uh, boat that you can see, and you can see it's got a fine oak table and all the rest of it you can see around you. It's pretty special. But we're going to feed you night one on our way down to Bantham. And um, you, you get a three-course meal. And as is tradition, I will provide a nut, the course of cheese. That's not included. You just get that. That's yours. It's got camembert. We've got um, some Emmental cheddar. It's good. Because I'm Cambazola, Okay, yes, what, please. Thank we're you. beginning to sound like a Monty Python sketch if we're not careful. <laughs> but what is your three-course dinner? We're all the wine, everything's everything else great. Obviously, the whiskey's good. But what is your three-course piggy meal? Okay, that's I give I give this a, a lot of thought most days. So you know I eat a lot. You know I'm a little bit over obsessed by food. So I, it's a very straightforward question for me to answer. So I'm going to start with, if you don't mind, Langans. Anchovy souffle. There is nothing finer on planet Earth than the Langans anchovy souffle. And I know people who don't like anchovies will be being, you know, mildly being queasy at this moment in time. But I, it's worth it, that is worth a trip from however far away you may live, uh, live listening to this. Go to Langans in the West End of London and have the anchovy souffle. And if you don't like it, come and find me and, uh, and ba barrack me for that. Uh, my main course. If you can put it together, could you put together a, a, a Dorada, a sea bream from Antonio's on the beach in Portugal, where my parents have a place uh, in the Algarve? Okay, and then I wonder if I, want, but I haven't finished yet. I want the rice from BJ's, which is a restaurant just further down the beach, if that's okay. Yeah. And if I can have a bit of lobster casserole on the side from Passos, which is another restaurant the other side, that'd be marvellous as well, if you don't mind. 
Is that all right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that Paul, the rather incompetent steward, can rustle all of that up and we'll get, we'll, we'll get scurrying on that. But don't move on, don't move on before I've got the puddings. Don't, don't, no, no, don't, about, don't you no. worry, pudding is vital. Okay. Remember, I'm having this with you, so it's in my interest to let you go. Okay, okay, so, and the pudding, and bearing in mind I tried to convince some producers at Endemol once that I, I should do a series on Round the World in 80 Puddings. This is, <laughs> this, is, this is very important to me, the puddings. So I would like to have what was once called the best dessert in the world, the best chocolate cake in the world, actually, to be precise. They went bust, sadly, so not many people believed in their little sales, their sales pitch, but they sold the recipe to Senor Frangos, also in the Algarve, so I can go and get a whole best of chocolate, best chocolate cake in the world. And it's not sponge. It is kind of, it's crispy. You know, it, it, you know what I mean? It's not sponge. Yeah. It's gooey and it's crispy. And it is, it is a phenomenal thing, Gilo. I One day we shall share a, a oh. Senor Frangos chocolate cake. I'm only disappointed that we can only go as far as Bantham because this is a proper feast. And I'm actually quite hungry now as, as, we're, as we're chatting, but we must move on. Before yes, you must. You come, but before you um, um, come down for supper, um, I hope you're going to change and shower into something a little bit more presentable. Um, mm. It's a power shower, which is amazing for an old power ship, but, yeah, pirate ship, but that's what we've got. What song does Mark Durden Smith sing in the shower? Uh, it's a funny one, that, because I, 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 I got very jealous once of, of, of some old friends of mine I don't see very much these days called Annabelle and Simon Stokoe. And they could sing Barry Manilow's Doctor, my woman is coming back home later today. They could do this amazing duet and it gets to this big crescendo in the in the sort of the middle of the, the song. And it's incredible, it's powerful. But and the only things I'd have to sing things like remember. So I, there's another one that goes, Rivers belong where they can ramble, eagles belong where they can fly. I've got to be where my spirit can run free. I don't know who sang this, by the way. I think it's Diana Ross. <laughs> but I'm much cooler than that, obviously. You know I'm much cooler than that. Um, you are, but... and I hope that one of my four listeners will be able to provide us with the uh, the answer to who... who I think it's Diana Ross. Uh, so she sings okay. it not as well as I do, strangely. No, no. But, well, that's very evident, and I'm looking forward to the shower being switched on, as I suspect are the crew. Tell me, you're, you're sort of 50... You're not, you're not in my shower, are you, when I'm singing? No. What? <laughs> I, I will scrub your back. That's all okay. I do. Um, tell me, what was it? You're, you're 52 or 53, you're a little bit older than me and, and certainly greyer, but not as bald. What was your first album? How dare you, by the way. Uh, 52, 52. Uh, my first album uh, was Supertramp Live in Paris. Wonderful. My that, was cousin, that was an LP, presumably, so big thing like that. Yeah, yeah that LP, vinyl, my cousin. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 actually, no. It was a tape. It was a what? tape, and I, I, I unfortunately now chewed and destroyed, but... My cousin Simon Lodge, Lodge, they called him. He he introduced me to Supertramp Live in Paris. Oh, I love that album. I could, I, you know, anyway, that takes me back a while, but loved it. And what was your first ever gig, live gig that you went to? I went to um, Marillion. Now, do you, do you know Marillion? <laughs> lavender blue, dilly dilly, lavender green, dilly dilly. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Not maybe the coolest like first live gig to go to, but probably excited. I saw Kylie in her fishnets. wasn't long after that, um, yeah. and I did. I think I went to see Pink Floyd, which is a silly wow. thing not no, to that remember. Is cool. That is cool, God. but I don't. I never liked Pink Floyd, so it was a bit lost to me. And I know that's obviously sacrilegious to many people. Oh, All right. oh. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you didn't like Pink Floyd. I wouldn't have been. I'm sorry about that. It's all oh, right. Gosh. Tell me what I'm was sorry. your what was your first what was your first um, car. 
the first car um, was a, well, I wanted to say it was a Peugeot 205 XS because that's the one that's in my soul and in my heart. But it wasn't. It was a Polo Fox, a white Polo Fox that Judith Chalmers, uh, the travel presenter icon who happens to be my mother, if, if she is, it may be Gloria Hunniford, we never know, it's one of the two. <laughs> if it, if it, she, I think, opened a car showroom and her payment was this white Polo Fox that me and my sister shared. And so that was the first one I got to drive. So nothing particularly spectacular, but I had one car, which you know, for 20 years, an Audi Cabriolet, which I was convinced was actually Princess Diana's sort of shopping car and the one she went to the Harbour Club in. So much so that I did the research on it and hers was silver, mine was blue. So I ended that dream. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Um, And some would say you, you keep this, question very hidden but do you have a hidden talent i mean some would say do you have talent but that's harsh you are a great talker you're a great presenter of television i mean that in all seriousness but i wonder if you have a talent that people might not know that uh, you know that is something you do really what rather well it might be a party piece or something that you can show off to your relatives in wales that they might you might find respect from them do you have anything well, that's the thing. I've, I've, I've always wanted... My hidden talent is that I, I have no talent that I've hidden. That, I, I think some <laughs> people people always have one, but I, I've always thought I must have one. So I have got one up my sleeve if I need it. I don't think anybody uh, could match me. I, I could if I need to and have in the past when required. Um, I can, I'm can. i a chest pyrotechnic, a pyromaniac, so I can just set light to my chest there and um, create great smoke signals out of the ensuing <laughs> flames. And has that ever been done on, on live television at any point? No, 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 no. But I can I can also consume what's the hidden talent? I can eat the I eat prawns, the full Monty Raw. That's that's a, I think a great talent. I take shells and all. Um oh. I have to stop at lobsters because that then causes dental issues. But a full giant prawn, the whole thing will go. That's a talent wow. of sorts. Not. That's a, no, I I've never heard anyone um say they could do that. So I, I was a boxer can... in my youth. A boxer I mean, where do you want to stop? I mean, I, I mean well, I've got... when you when, when you say that, I, I must interject. I'm I'm fascinated. When did you do your boxing? Well, again, said friend Ali Midgen thought he was Muhammad Ali because he was called Ali. And so we went to see Mr. Newman in North London. I used to I think my parents had a, a slight concern that their child who they you know, often abandoned because my mother was a travel presenter who went on holiday for 30 years, leaving me to basically <laughs> raise myself. So she did that. And so I was at home with lots of ice cream, which she left to try and buy my love. And so it, the resulting, um, the result of all that was that they had a slightly, possibly mildly obese child on their hands. So my dad used to take me to Gary Newman, not Gary, yeah, I'm sure it's Mr. Newman, not Gary Newman, Mr. Newman down in North London in, in Islington. And I used to go boxing every weekend on a Saturday when my parents were home. On the Sunday, he would take me to, I'm sure it was called Mermaids, the swimming club. I'm thinking, how did I fit into that? <laughs> but then, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm all, we're ahead of, a, ahead of our time, Swiss Cottage, I think, but I think it might've been Merlins and Mermaids. So, so yeah. the, the, other, the other evening you were uh, presenting at a, a fine award show, the Sports Industry Awards. And I know that Barry Hearn was there to pick up a Lifetime Achievement Award. Did you mention that boxing passed to him at any point he might have been interested no he, he would have been interested but he can t- he can tell from my face that i've been a boxer he knows i'm hard uh he I, there was a respect i think he innately felt you know he knows i've been in the ring and done a few rounds i think i did that for about a year two years and then but realized that every time i got punched in the nose i wanted to cry and go home to mummy so that wasn't necessarily 
what did you it get need rid of, to... did it get rid of the excess timber that you were talking about? Uh, no, I tell you what, that took going to our, our boarding school where I wasn't given free access to the toffee and almond ice cream in our freezer at home. As soon as I didn't have that on tap, I got really skinned overnight. <laughs> yeah, strange that. Really? I just got two, I've got two, I'm actually in Bristol recording the audio version of this book I'm doing at Christmas. And we've got seven, we did seven hours today, seven hours tomorrow. I've got two of those lovely salted caramel cheesecakes just on my right shoulder as a reward for getting through the captain's table unscathed. Well, what, 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 we're so far, so good. We're nearly done. And uh, serious, relatively serious question, I think. Um, and you may have sort of referenced it a little bit on your choice of destination, but this is a pirate ship. It's designed to smuggle things. Um, if we could smuggle, do, do you have a treasured possession on uh, that we could bury for you that's something that you would want to keep safe for all time, that genuinely is something that we can put in a treasure chest and, and make sure it's it's safe for all times. Are you someone that sort of harks back to, to things like that or not really? Are you acquisitive? Um, I am a hundred percent. Would I, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know. Okay, so I've got a couple of things that spring to mind imminently. One that I, isn't like in my possession. My godfather was Brian Johnston, the great commentator. And he had on his wall this picture of W.G. Grace that was given to him by... Um, What's a uh, Lord, uh, not, you know, Wormsley guy, what's his name? John Paul Getty. And I always yeah. covered that. I thought I'd love that one day, but never got my hands on that. So I, I, if I could be a pirate, that is what I would nick to be my most present possession of, yeah. of Brian's ancestors. I think it's probably with one of his sons or daughters now. Um, but treasure, I mean, my chilli water bottle that Rachel, my wife, had made for Christmas with Marky written on it, was with a battered tin oh. top. I lost this weekend, so I'd be devastated to lose that. The other thing is, I've got, I've got a quite a, not a long list because I know you've got a short amount of time. But I worked on this um, startup company called the Flying Grocer um, for a, a few months when uh, negotiations with BT Sport went a bit disastrously wrong, <laughs> and I ended up not having a job when I thought I had one. <laughs> and um, I started this. Well, helped a friend start this thing called the Flying Grocer. And we worked in the shared office space just off the King's Road in London. And I just, in lockdown, I found this piece of crumpled paper in a box that I, you know, you, everybody did this sort of, what's in this box? I haven't opened for 20 years. And I unfurled it. And in this crumpled piece of paper was an original Charlie Mackesy drawing that he'd done for us because we were starting this company. It was called The Flying Grocer. And he'd actually got the wrong message and he'd written down The Naked Grocer. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just this Charlie Magazine drawing of a naked chef, pendulous and all, just crumpled up. And so I took it to the local framers and I got them to frame it crumpled as it was. But you could just, you know, you can see the picture. And I love that thing. So I would probably, could you bury that for me? Because I, lo I love a bit of artwork. And it reminds me of, of very happy days. We will certainly do that. We will try oh, that. Can I, can I also take my, my, Bremont, my Bremont watch that my children and my wife bought me for my 50th birthday. I would take that, actually. Uh, I'd have you, to have that with me. You can have both those, that little painting, picture, sketch, whatever it is. And, and I'm not dying, am I? You're just burying it for a good time. I'm not dying, we're am just, I? We're keeping it safe. You're safe. You might die of, of this extraordinary dinner we're about to have, but what a good way to go that would be. <laughs> yeah, not good for the artery. 
not good for the a bit, bit 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 furry but there we go that's a good way to go mark Durden smith i have to let you go you've got a book to narrate and you're, you're sort of doing great things in the world of broadcasting which weirdly for me to say to you it does continue to make me quite proud but don't tell anyone you've been a a, a wonderful man ridiculous and it's a it's a real joy for me i, I go back with you I, th- I was thinking that it might be 37 years and we both um changed in no way at all which is really quite heartening um Thank you for coming on, on the no, show. No, thank you. And I, do, I, 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 just, I think it has to be pointed out to your your legions, your millions of, of fans, that, mm. that you are, I think, you must be the first captain of a pirate ship who, who also bowls off a long run and delivers, you know, a really good halfway down the track ball that gets hit for six, admittedly. But you are a very, very frightening opening bowler. Not many pirates can say that. Not many. I, I, I remember playing in France a few years ago and being nicknamed Le Buffet and, and realising it was that <laughs> people could, could help for themselves and, and, and they have ever since. Um, look, I have to say thank you. Also, the good folk at Loch Lomond want to give you a bottle of scotch as their little reward for having you, booty, if you will, to, for coming on board. So we'll get that over to you. Um, but thank you very, very much for coming on board. Thank you so much for having me on board. I've absolutely loved talking about my favourite subject, i.e. me. (laughs) Mark Durden-Smith, the pocket rocket. For all our listeners, we're so grateful uh, for your support of this show, which we've been doing for nearly two years now. And so we don't want you to leave with your cellars empty either. And so our kind friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies are very kindly, and once again, giving away a bottle of their 12-year-old single malt whisky. It's the perfect gift for Christmas, or indeed Easter, or any religious festival you you, you might need a, a, a wee dram at. I'm guessing through far too much. And so to be in with a chance of winning this bottle, head over to their Twitter page at Loch Lomond Malts and follow their instructions to enter. From all my colleagues at Are You Not Entertained and Loch Lomond Whiskies, thank you for the support of the shows we make, and we're really grateful for your time. And if you do get a chance... Go on, go online and tell your friends about us and get them to find us on our Apple podcasts or wherever you find your pod fix by searching Are You Not Entertained? Or even have a look on the App Store and look up Are You Not Entertained where you'll find that we have our own sort of app thing, um, which is quite jolly. Um, If you want to get in touch with me personally, you can do so on Twitter at GilesMorgan71 or via email at Giles at GilesDMorgan.com. The next time we meet, we'll be graced by a New Zealand rugby legend. And I mean that, he's a legend. He's also the hardest bastard, I think, ever to have played the game. Sean Fitzpatrick. That'll be out in October. Until we meet again, goodbye. Goodbye.